Welcome to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We appreciate you joining us so much. Probably one of my favorite guests to have on is Patrick DeHaan. He's the Vice President of Media Relations and Communications and Consumer Programs for Gas Buddy. And if you know anything about gas, if you want to know anything, Patrick is the expert that we lean on. Patrick, how are you, my friend? Good, Tony. Good to be back with you again. All right, let's jump right into it. Where are we right now when we talk about gas prices? Well, things are starting to heat back up a little bit. We got a little window of opportunity in early February, really through mid-February, but now in late February and early March, we are starting to see retail gas prices go up. At the same time, though, diesel prices do continue to inch down. In the last week alone, the average across Michigan is up to three fifty-two a gallon. That's a pretty big jump, about a twenty-five cent jump from a week ago. Tony, a lot of the reason for the big jump here in the last week has been that we're starting the transition over to summer gasoline. With it, rising demand and also refinery maintenance that's kind of contributing to the increase. This is something that we see every year, so it's very predictable. We're likely to see continued increases here, really through potentially May or so. And before we talk more about gas prices here in the States, I wanted to ask you, have you heard anything about Russia, which has started exporting diesel to Saudi Arabia, which I thought was interesting. Saudi Arabia is their own petroleum giant, but are they not as adept in producing? Well, you see that with a lot of these bigger countries that are oil producers. Take Nigeria, for example. They've been a big oil producer, but they're still reliant on imports. They have oil and so does Saudi Arabia, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have the refined products that they need like diesel, jet fuel, and gasoline. And so Russia sending diesel over to the Saudis isn't necessarily a surprise. A lot of that product will end up going to a home where it needs to go, whether that's China, Saudi Arabia, India, or Turkey. The key is that as long as that oil and refined product like diesel continues to flow, it's supplying a need. And so it's not going to contribute to higher prices. The problem would be if that diesel doesn't move outside of Russia and that oil doesn't flow outside of Russia, because that's going to mean a larger imbalance that could cause prices to go up. Patrick, where are we when we talk about the price of crude barrel-wise? Well, Tony, we've been bouncing around in the 70s and 80s for the last several months. Really quite the turnaround when you think about a year ago, we hit $130 a barrel at the height of Russia's invasion of Ukraine or shortly thereafter. We've seen oil prices bouncing around because of economic news that sometimes is more favorable, sometimes the opposite. We are in an environment where there's a lot of eyes being cast on the Federal Reserve raising interest rates and at what pace, because that certainly can act to cool down the economy. The Federal Reserve raising interest rates more sharply is going to likely cause more of a slowdown in economic growth, and thus it's going to also slow down consumption of oil. So it may be a bit ironic, but when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates more aggressively, that also is likely to cut into oil consumption. And so oil prices have been doing this dance depending on the economic data and depending on the situation in China. Keep in mind that they are reopening after three years of COVID zero policy. And just like we saw in the U.S., Chinese are likely to really get out and consume more petroleum once they are allowed to kind of make the first step outside that they have in several years. Patrick, for our listeners who aren't familiar with how the cycle works when it comes to change over to winter blend, when it comes to maintenance, talk a little bit about that process. 
Well, you know, refineries do maintenance generally in the spring and fall, kind of like bringing your car in for big oil change before a major road trip. Refineries are generally utilizing February, March, and April as months to do that maintenance work before their big road trip, before the summer driving season. If you're a refinery, that's when you want to make sure your refinery is 100% online and providing as much product. And so refineries are in the process of doing that maintenance. But it's also like getting an oil change in your car. You can't really drive your car while it's being serviced. Refineries are very much the same. Several units that make up a refinery get shut down while the maintenance work is carried out. And that can last anywhere from four to six to even eight or 10 weeks. And so during that time, refineries aren't producing as much gasoline. That's one part of the problem that pushes prices up. The other, Tony, is this transition to various blends of summer gasoline. We make it sound simple. Right. We imply that there's only one type of summer gasoline because we simply say, well, if it's not summer gasoline, it's winter. If it's not winter, it's summer. But the complexity is moving to summer gasoline means starting up about 12 different blends of this summer gasoline in use across the country. And that creates a bit of a logistical nightmare that can lead to hot spots and prices. What's the difference between summer and winter gas? Well, essentially, depending on the air pollutions and emissions in a given area, there may be more or less butane and gasoline in the summer months. And that's really what is it. The bigger cities have to use even more stringent blends of gasoline because there are more vehicles on the road. So the major cities like St. Louis, Chicago, Detroit, all of those cities are using a different blend of gasoline in the summer. And it all really has to do with how many cars are in a given area to cut down on emissions during the warmer summer months. We're talking with Patrick DeHaan from Gas Buddy. Patrick, when we come back, let's talk about the Phillips proposed Willow project. That's been big time in the news. We'll do that next here on Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Sonair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sonair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sonair.com. Welcome back to Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. This is the Michigan Business Network, and we're lucky enough to talk with today Patrick DeHaan, who's the Vice President of Media Relations and Communications, as well as Consumer Programs for Gas Buddy. Make sure you have the Gas Buddy app on your phone so you can always know where to find the best gas prices in the area you live. Patrick, let's talk a little bit about the ConocoPhillips proposed Willow Project. Apparently, they've been sitting on this for a little bit. There's controversy about it. Tell us about it, what you know, and where you think we're going from here with this. Well, Tony, there's been a lot of fights on infrastructure that the oil industry has been seeking to build to increase oil production, whether it's a pipeline, the Willow Project, other various infrastructure projects, drilling rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. In the last decade, it's become more substantial for oil companies to obtain these permits. Look at Line 5 in Michigan, right? Michigan's governor and attorney general are trying to shut down Line 5. 
talk about the keystone of the Biden administration. So essentially, the Willow Project is another piece of infrastructure, a pipeline that Chevron would need to build in order to take advantage of raising production in Alaska. And a lot of environmental groups are fighting back on the approval. Simply put, without the approval, without the infrastructure, the oil isn't going to be produced and it could contribute to higher oil prices. So this is a trend of activism that we've seen in the last five to 10 years as activists take aim at the oil sector. But keep in mind, the oil sector, you know, without this additional oil, it could lead to an era of higher prices down the road, especially considering we're in the middle of Russia's war in Ukraine. So it all really has to do with people trying to block oil companies from building infrastructure. Patrick, I'm not sure you can answer this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Has there ever been a time where the folks who are against this project and other similar ones are aware of how important petroleum is, not only in what we drive and fly and whatever else, but all the products that it goes in to how vital it is? Well, Tony, I think there is a big disconnect sometimes. You know, the irony is that these activists will often go to a location and use fossil fuels to get there and to fight against what they themselves are consuming. So, as you put it, I mean, I think it does make sense to uh, see us evolve to other forms of energy where possible, where we can clean up our act. Why not? But the interim, Tony, we're talking about our dependency on something that we don't really have the infrastructure to simply just go nuclear, go solar, or go with wind power. So, there is a time and place for oil, and certainly we could wind down our consumption of it. But in the interim, to bridge the gap between forms of energy that may exist down the road that don't today, we're still reliant on oil. Look at Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The price of oil surged to $135 a barrel because that's still one of the most significant forms of energy, not only in the US, but abroad as well. So keeping in mind that Americans, you know, if energy costs eat up 50% of your paycheck, you're not really going to have much of a paycheck to utilize elsewhere. Patrick, let's take the Pacific Ocean off the radar and the Gulf of Mexico off the radar. Let's just say we produced the available petroleum that is available just from Alaska, just in the areas of Alaska, which are basically considered wilderness. Where would that put us? Well, Tony, Alaska has been seeing its oil output decline for decades. The North Slope is not home to nearly the amount of oil production that it used to be. In fact, the Gulf of Mexico, you know, that's maybe one of the bright spots. Offshore oil production in the Gulf of Mexico is still pretty healthy. But Tony, a lot of the attention really has turned to inland formations like the back end in North Dakota and the Permian Basin and Eagle Ford in Texas. For natural gas, we've looked to the Appalachians and shale in Pennsylvania, and there's been a lot of inland developments. But the key really here is that oil companies have been able to look and explore for additional sources of energy. And, you know, this kind of tying into the administration's stance is that the administration is making it more difficult for oil companies and natural gas companies to explore for new forms of energy. And so that's where we get tied into this is that, you know, without, you know, Alaska has been declining, but we're at a point now where Russia's war in Ukraine, we need every barrel that we can get because the U.S. is acting more and more as a supplier of choice as countries try and cut off Russia's flow of oil. The U.S. has been exporting more and more both oil and refined products. In fact, in the last week, the United States has exported 77 million barrels combined between oil and refined products, Tony. So we're acting as the catch-all to provide energy to global markets. So Patrick, let's just say you and I are going to start up an oil company. How long does it take to go from the exploration 
to building the platform and everything else you need infrastructure wise to getting that out of the ground to processing it. How long does that take? Beginning Boy, Tony, it really depends on where you're drilling and how successful you are in finding oil immediately and what leases you have and how long the permitting process takes. But it's a very long road. It's not something that you're going to get going in the next few months, you know, to assemble all of this. And keep in mind, oil companies have challenges not only with bringing oil to the surface, but to get the amount of labor necessary to get manpower to bring up oil and start turning it into production. But many times, Tony, the time frame can be in the multiple years you know, from starting a business to getting successful to raising production to getting that oil to the market can take several years. And oftentimes, by the way, that's why we also say that what decisions a president makes today are also not going to really affect us so much in the days and weeks ahead, but they will take years to materialize because of the really slow turnaround you go from policy to wellhead. And even opening a new wellhead would take years to get that oil to the market. We're talking with Patrick DeHaan with Gas Buddy. When we come back, we're going to talk more about oil prices. One more segment left with Patrick here on Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Physicians Health Plan is local. For 35 years, we've been a part of your community, and we take pride in helping you get the coverage, care, and personal service you deserve. Go to phpmichigan.com for more information. We're the health plan that works for you. Welcome back to Media Business. Our conversation is with Patrick DeHaan. This is the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. Thanks so much for tuning in to this segment. All right, Patrick. So as we look ahead through the next couple of years, where do you see us heading production-wise? I don't even want to get into the pricing-wise. There's so many things that are fluent with that. But where do you see us going for the next year or two? Well, Tony, I think there's a lot of wild cards, really the main one being Russia's invasion of Ukraine. How long that continues? Will there be an end in sight? And what does that look like? Will there be a new regime in Russia that gives the confidence of Western companies to start doing business with Russia and the EU? You know, how will China's reopening of its economy look? Certainly China being one of the world's largest oil importers, the economic activity in China could lead to higher demand or lower demand, depending on if there's a growth in their economy or a slowdown. So there's a lot of wild cards, but production-wise here in the United States, I do think production will continue to slowly improve. Compared to a year ago, the U.S. is producing about 700,000 barrels more of oil every day than just a year ago. That's about 12.3 million barrels. I do think it's possible that by next year, we could be closer to 13 million barrels, which would start to rival some of the pre-COVID numbers that we saw. Patrick, we're year one into the Ukraine-Russia war. Where does Russia's production of petroleum products stand as we speak? Well, it's starting to decline, Tony. I wouldn't say significantly, but meaningfully. About 10%. Russia had been producing 9 to 10 million barrels of oil per day. But with all the various sanctions and the difficulties with sanctions that come along with it, Russia is still exporting millions of barrels of oil per day. But now a lot of that oil is ending up in the dark market or the black market going to countries that may refine that oil, but then resell it to countries like in the European Union or even the United States. So that's the challenge with oil is that you know only so many countries are buying that Russian oil, but they continue to be a major oil producer. And that's really why oil prices have calmed down in the last year 
is because of the importance of that Russian oil, that Russian oil still flowing to the market. And that's why we have seen the drop in oil prices compared to a year ago when many were worried that Russia was either going to end exports or other countries would shut down Russia's oil production ability, neither of which has happened. And that's led to a cool off in prices. Patrick, how have we in the media done when it comes to reporting on news about petroleum, about gasoline, about pricing, about messaging? How have we done in the media from your perspective? Well, you know, Tony, there's always the inevitable conversation about how politics comes into it. And I think a lot of Americans have become obsessed with politics, whether they're on the right side or the left side of the aisle. You know, I think the media has done it, at least those that I have talked to, have done a pretty good job articulating why some of the impacts are less related to who's in the White House. And a lot of this goes back to economics. And I think a lot of those that I've talked to in the media now, some may have more noticeable stances. When the media talks to me and asks questions, sometimes you can feel out if there's an agenda behind the scenes. But most of the time, the journalists I've talked to have been fairly open with, you know, leaving a personal bias behind and allowing me to share the information that I have with them. And, you know, even as an analyst, you have to remain unbiased and a reporter has to be unbiased when they, you know, have an expert. And I think most uh, journalists have done that. That is, they allow the experts in the sector to speak their truth. But every once in a while, somebody may have a different tone or different context that, you know, could potentially mislead their viewers. And I try to stay away from those journalists who don't paint the accurate picture. Patrick, what are you working on? What should we be looking for? What's going to be newsy as we get into this week and next week? Well, Tony, we're going to continue to talk about how spring is causing gas prices to spring up. And it's going to be the same story for the next several weeks, maybe the next couple of months that this refinery maintenance is happening. Now, usually in the spring, there can be some fireworks, just like taking your car in for that oil change, Tony, they can come back at you and say, oh, hey, by the way, do you know your battery is on its last legs? Or mm-hmm. they may say, hey, you have a ball joint that needs to be replaced. And usually for your car, that can be problematic, right? It means more downtime. And that's what can happen at the nation's refineries as well. If they run into unexpected issues with maintenance, that's where some of the fireworks can start to pop in terms of gas prices. So Hopefully, there's not going to be any speed bumps here with maintenance. Hopefully, it's going to go as expected. But keep in mind, if these refineries find something that they didn't encounter, that can mean delays to when their refinery reopens and when they're able to start producing more gasoline. So there could be a bit of volatility here in the spring, especially as we Americans start to get out and drive more. The temperatures are going to start warming up. They already have, thank goodness. And as they do, more Americans start to drive more. Spring break is around the corner. So just be ready for higher prices over the next couple of months. But usually prices plateau shortly after Memorial Day and typically are in decline by July 4 and into the second half of the summer. All right. Final question for you, Patrick. As an analyst, where do you go to find your information? And I keep in mind that you're creating a lot of this news that I would consider you a petroleum journalist, if you will. You're an expert on that. But where do you go to get your numbers? Well, Tony, I mean, a lot of the numbers I get, they could be from government sources that put out data. They can be from OPEC. You have to obviously, you know, as a journalist and even as a reader, you have to pay attention to what you're reading. You know, is it somebody reliable? So I've tried to weed out fact from fiction and make sure that I'm responding and looking at more of the factual numbers. That involves things that are in the weeds, Tony, like looking at methodology. How do you come to these numbers? Where do you get these numbers? And then I also look at other opinions that help form my own opinions. And that comes from both ends of the spectrum, Tony, because there's always some truth to some pieces. Some may have less truth, some have more, but 
I use all of that to kind of gather my own opinion on things like the economy, how those are going to flow, how oil policy or policy on oil companies will impact prices. And then geopolitical tensions, Tony, that's been a big one the last couple of years, probably the been the more challenging of them. But all of that I put into, you know, essentially how I feel about markets. And that goes into, you know, my predictions, our forecasts that we issue here, just like, you know, big banks will have forecasters that use the exact same. It's their opinion. This one is mine. So, you know, we remain hopeful that we can be accurate with what we're expecting. You can follow Patrick DeHaan on LinkedIn as well as Twitter. He's the Vice President of Media Relations, Communications, and Consumer Programs for Gas Buddy. Get the Gas Buddy app for your phone so you can find the cheap gas. Patrick, as always, I appreciate you so much, sir. Thank you. My pleasure, Tony. Thank you. I'm Tony Connolly. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network.